And the CD from last week. Now, normally they move these CDs for $5 a piece. What we're going to do is bring the notes and the CD for 5 just so you can grab both and spread the word. We've got to start taking a stand. Not to be mean to people or hate people or be, you know, snooty. But if we're being told that the God of Islam is the same as the God of the Bible, we've got to answer it. It has to be answered. And we love all people, but we do not love all doctrines or all teachings or all concepts. So uh, there you go. And they're back there as soon as church is over. All right. Now today, I want to talk to you about the value of your valley, the value of the valley. How many of you have ever been in a valley? Anybody in here never been in a valley? I want to meet you. All right. Well, there's value in the valley. So let me, let me read one of the uh, uh, best-known passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. And it's Psalms 23, verse 3 to 4. He restored... Read it with me. I, this, I want you to preach to me. This is great, great stuff here. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Oh, I'm sorry. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. Do you believe that? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that we're not alone in the valley. We're not alone in the valleys of life, and you are with us, and I pray that your word will lift us up today and encourage us today, speak to us today, give us light, take our hand, strengthen our faith, and we thank you, Lord, that when you're there, we can go through anything. In the name of Jesus, will you just right now breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word. Speak to my own heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them it's not over. God's in charge. Um, if you're looking around and it looks a little bit light in the early service, it's not. We put in 50 new chairs to take care of the second service. So we're trying to talk the second service people into coming into this one. And I'm just going to have to command them, I think. But um, thank God we had to put in 50 new chairs and... So, so thankful for everything he's doing. Now, I want to talk to you today about how God restores our souls. How God restores our soul. Now, I'm going to go into it more in a minute, but in a nutshell, our soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the Bible says that our soul is the most valuable thing we possess. There is nothing more valuable than your soul. So that Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and all the gold and silver and goods in it and lose his own soul? So the soul is something that can be lost. Jesus said so. Peter wrote that the end of our faith is the salvation of your souls. The salvation of our soul is the very reason that Jesus left heaven and appeared on earth. He didn't come just to say good things, powerful things, but Jesus came to die for us that the soul, which is most valuable, could be saved. 
He came to save the souls of mankind. Now, that implies that the souls of mankind are in some kind of danger. If they weren't in danger, then why do they need to be saved? Now, you go out there and ask most people, and most people will say, well, I didn't even know I had a soul. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus opened our eyes very clearly, and the Bible is replete with passages on the reality of our possessing a soul. Animals don't have souls. People do. You have a soul, and that soul is eternal. It goes on forever. Jesus taught that man is lost, and his soul is lost, and that his soul is dead and disconnected from God and must be rescued from certain doom. Jesus taught that the soul would have to be rescued, and that's why he came. Jesus said, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. See, if you were martyred today for Jesus Christ, they may be able to kill your body, but they can't take your soul. But Jesus said, fear him, that is God, who is able to, to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, so much for there not being a hell. Hell is real, folks, and it's hot, and it's forever. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want to fear somebody, you need to fear the God who can take your soul and cast it into hell. Now, a little bit further, what is the soul? The soul is the inner you. The soul is yourself. It is the entity in each one of us that perceives and remembers and reasons and prays and wills and hopes and believes and loves and sins and repents and can be saved. Your soul is only using your body to walk around in. The Bible calls our body our tent, and inside the tent is our soul. It is you. It's the you that we come to know, and my soul is the me you come to know. Our, the soul is the essence of you and me. And now here's where I want to go with this today. Not only can the soul be lost, but the soul can be wounded and scarred and bruised and traumatized in life. Just like the body can be cut and wounded and traumatized, so can the soul be. And most people are walking around with some level of a bruised, beaten, bloodied, scarred soul because we live in a world that is at war. We're in a war zone. And you don't stay in a war zone very long without getting some arrows and some bullets and some wounds. Isaiah prophesied the ministry of Jesus, and he described it this way. Actually, it is the Lord speaking first person through Isaiah. Isaiah 61, verse 1 through 3, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus talking through Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to heal. Now watch this. It's all inner that he's about to talk about. Heal the brokenhearted. To comfort all who mourn. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness or depression. I think we need to realize that a wounded soul is often a depressed soul, an anxious soul, that when our souls are wounded, a lot of times we just kind of carry it around without taking much thought about it. But 
I want you to understand that Jesus wants to heal your wounded, battered, beaten soul. That verse out of Isaiah perfectly describes soul trouble. Those whose inner souls have been damaged, bruised, broken, beaten. They're mourning. They are, they have a spirit of heaviness. They're brokenhearted. The broken heart is, 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 is another word for a broken soul. So many people walking around in our day with broken hearts. They get up every single day and walk through life bleeding, walk through life limping, walk through life hopeless. They've been damaged, beaten. They see no more joy, no more purpose, no more meaning to life. And I came to bring you good news today that as long as there is God, there is hope. And that God is not an impersonal God, but that God, the God of the Bible, is a God intensely interested in the healing of our soul. Now, David knew well all about the God who restores our soul. He said, the Lord restores my soul. He restoreth my soul. So not just a saved soul is in God's plan, but a restored soul. Restored meaning brought back to its original healthy condition. A restored soul is a happy soul, a joyful soul, a powerful soul, a shining soul. I really believe that healed people heal people. And what we need is a church full of people whose souls have been restored. Because when, when you've got a restored soul, you can go out and say, there is hope in God. He can lift off of you the mourning and the depression, and he can give you joy in this life. You can have a skip in your step. You can have a gleam in your eye. You can wake up excited about tomorrow. Now, in the 23rd Psalm, there is a beautiful progression. You know, so often we, 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 we quote this psalm at funerals, and I've quoted this psalm many, many times at funerals. So we've kind of viewed it as a psalm to die by. But can I tell you this? I think it's also a psalm to live by. It's a psalm to live by. Because there is a progression in verses 1 through 6. It begins with a person meeting Jesus as their shepherd. He declares, the, that is the, the newborn, the one experiencing salvation. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. This describes the salvation experience. The first thing we know when we're saved is Jesus as our shepherd. The whole beautiful picture that is painted for us of being led to pastures of tender green grass. And to the still quiet waters is a picture of the peace and tranquility of salvation. The newly saved lamb is feeding on the tender grass of God's word for the first time. He's drinking from the waters of salvation Jesus promised to the woman at the well. I'm saved. He's my shepherd. Look what he's doing for me. Green grass, still waters, life, tranquility. Then we see this person experiencing a total turnabout. A total change. That's what repentance is. Repentance is you're going one direction and you repent and you turn and you go the other direction. It means I turn around. And that's what happened to this person. He says he's leading me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So I'm grazing on green grass. I'm drinking from the waters of life. And now he's leading me. 
He's changed my life. There's discipline. There's order. There is a, there is a direction I'm going. And it's called the narrow road that leads to life. I've forsaken that broad way that leads to death. And now I'm walking down the path of righteousness, the narrow road. And that word lead in the Hebrew means he's, he's bringing pressure to bear. He's bringing discipline to bear to get me on that narrow road. He's walking a path of righteousness. Now on the heels of these things, we see the shepherd turn his focus on restoring the soul. Not The, the soul has now been saved, but now the shepherd is going to restore it. The Lord is my shepherd, I'm saved. But then this saved person says, but he's also restoring my soul. He didn't just save my soul. He restoreth my soul. He's restoring my soul. And the lamb is happy about that. He's excited because all his life he's carried around this wounded, bleeding, hurting soul. People that have betrayed him, heartbreaks, sins that have damaged and annihilated that soul are now being removed and the scars and the wounds and the infection is being taken away and the soul is being restored and then right out of the blue this person who has been saved is now walking down the path of life and has is experiencing the re restoration of their soul suddenly out of the blue this little lamb experiences a valley Yea, though I'm walking through a valley of the shadow of death. I'm walking through a valley. And we didn't expect that, did we? But there it is. What is this valley doing here in the process of my beautiful, wonderful restoration? I think of Peter's words. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if some strange, weird thing were happening to you. Because right in the middle of a walk with God, walking down that narrow road that leads to life and the restoration of your soul, suddenly here is a valley. We don't know what the valley was. It doesn't really matter. We know that it's a rather spooky valley because it's called the valley of the shadow of death. Death valley. The valley of the shadow of death. But guess what, everybody? A shadow is only something that appears when light is being blocked. Casting a shadowy image of whatever it is that blocked it. It's not the real thing. It's only a representation of the real thing. The, the, the shadow of a dog can't bite because it's not the real animal. The shadow of a snake can't strike. It's not the real thing. The shadow of a gun can't shoot because it's not the real thing. And the shadow of death can't kill. It's only a shadow of death. The good news is when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, no matter how dark a shadow might be, it reminds us that light is shining on the other side and this too shall pass. Now hold that valley thought for just a minute. And let me help you understand the ways of God here when it comes to soul restoration. Understand with me today that most, most soul restoration happens over an extended period of time. It's not an overnight healing. It's not an overnight deliverance. It's not an overnight event. And it requires patience and it requires perseverance on our part. Miracles tend to be instantaneous and we charismatics love those instant miracles. 
But healing of restoration takes time. And it takes as much faith to walk through a healing of restoration over time as it does to see a miracle instantaneously happen in front of you. As a matter of fact, I think almost more faith does it take to walk through a valley over a long period of time trusting God every day than it does to say, Lord, would you help me with this? And poof, it's there. Sometimes we're delivered from a valley. Other times we're taking taken through a valley. And the psalmist, this, this newborn lamb that has been experiencing a changed life and restoration is taken through the valley. Yea, though I walk through a valley. For instance, one blind man, Jesus healed, first saw men as trees walking. It took more faith and a second touch before he saw clearly. You say, well, why was that so? I don't know. Except maybe to model the reality of restoration. First touch, he could see, but not good enough. Second touch, he saw clearly. It was a process over time. When other blind people, Jesus would walk up and touch them, and they were instantly healed. Miracle versus restoration. Paul the apostle sat in prison for years. While Simon Peter was miraculously delivered overnight by an angel that struck him on the thigh and woke him up and took him out, bars swinging open, and led him out into freedom. Why was Paul required to sit there in prison for years and Peter was delivered overnight? That is in God's mind and God's will, and that's God's call. But, but it is a picture of restoration. Sometimes we go through a long process, and other times it's instant. Why wasn't Paul instantly delivered? And why are some of us, some of you, and listening by radio, carried through the valley, through the valley, through a valley, instead of out of a valley? I really do believe that one answer is because of the valuable things we learn in the valley as we take the Lord's hand day by day and make the journey with Jesus. I believe there are some things we must learn as we go through a process, through the valley, through a restoration, that if we didn't do it, there would be some things lacking in our faith and we really would not have the ability to set other people free. Now, let me give you three things that I really do believe David learned in the valley, and he tells them to us. He gives it to us, and I want to encourage you with this. First, we find confidence in his presence. Can you say with me, confidence in his presence? We learn confidence in his presence. That old song, if I never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in his word could do. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. And as long as you're with me, Lord, I've got confidence in your presence. And even though there is the specter of a shadow Even though I'm in a valley of trouble, a valley of pain, a valley of waiting, a valley that that, that is very difficult for me to go through in the natural. And not only that, but this valley is possessed of an ominous, threatening shadow. Just there is the valley of the shadow 
of death, the shadow of death. And I look at that shadow and that shadow unnerves me. It might be a a threat over your money. It might be the threat of a loved one's life. It might be whatever the threat is, that shadow is there and it's threatening. And not only are you in a valley of trouble, but you're having to deal with this threatening, ominous, looming shadow. And what did David learn when he was forced to go through the process of going through a valley instead of being taken out of the valley? Here's what he learned, that when I'm in the valley, I'm not in it alone. I am not alone in this valley. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into that burning, fiery oven, they went down alone, but all of a sudden a fourth man appeared, and he had the appearance of the Son of God. He had the appearance of the Son of God. And you know what they started doing? They started dancing and leaping and praising God. And you know what happened? The ropes that had bound them when they got thrown down were burned off. That tells me that in the valley some things come off that need to go. Some chains come off. Some ropes come off. Some handcuffs come off. Some fears go away. You get set free in that valley as you learn you're not alone. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. It doesn't matter. It's true. (laughs) Jesus, didn't he say, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never walk away. You will never hear the sound of my footsteps walking away from you. You will always hear them walking towards you and next to you as you go through the valley. Though there is that shadow, that threatening shadow I've learned to whistle while I walk. I've learned to sing while I trod because I know that he is with me. And as long as he's there, I need fear no shadow, no valley. I'm just passing through. It's not my permanent home. It's a hotel experience. I'm here for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. See, I'd never know that if I wasn't forced to go through it. Now, the second thing, first, confidence in his presence and then comfort in his correction. He said, your rod and your staff, as I'm going through that valley, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, in Bible days, the rod of a shepherd had to do with correction. And the staff was used for guidance. When a sheep would stray, the shepherd could hurl that, he could rear back with that rod and hurl it with amazing accuracy. Here goes a little sheep straying away from the herd. He's straying away and he's going where the wolves are lurking. Listen, in the valley is when you're tempted to stray. Because you're saying, well, I didn't bargain for this. I didn't know there was going to be these valleys. And this is just a little bit too much for me. And so you say, I, I, I just think I'll see if there's not something out there that I missed the first time around. And you begin to stray. And then all of a sudden, a whistle comes through the air. And pow! It's the rod. And this is really what would happen in that That sheep had a major wake-up call. (laughs) And 
In essence, the shepherd was saying, where are you going, little lamb? Get back into the fold and take my hand again. We're going through this valley together. You're not opting out. There is no opt out. Come on, little lamb. We're going to go through this together. Don't think you can get away from me because my rod will find you. It's really the way that it happened. And those sheep, rather than resent it, it gave them security. It comforted. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are symbolic of the Word of God. This is the Word of correction. This is the Word of guidance. This is the Word of comfort. This is why I tell you, read this Bible every day. Feed on it every day. Seven days without the Word of God makes one week. W-E-A-K. If you get out of this Word, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you stray. This word is the corrector. Every single day you need to hear that rod whistling through the wind coming at you. Because in some little way, every day the word will correct you and you want that. But also he had the staff. And the staff, we've all seen, you know, the, the old picture of somebody on a stage singing terribly or some comedian that's not funny at all. And all of a sudden this staff comes from nowhere, this crooked stick, and wraps around his neck and pulls him away. We know that as the staff, but to a shepherd it was very different. To a shepherd, when he found a sheep that had fallen and stumbled, he wrapped that staff around his neck and stood him back on his feet. Or when that sheep could not find the green grass or the still waters, he put that staff around his neck and gently nudged him towards the saving waters and the green grass that would nourish his soul. That's what the Word of God does for you and me. He restoreth my soul. How does he do it? The rod of correction and the staff of guidance. Correction, guidance. Correction, guidance. Correction, guidance. We need it every single day. You know why? Because we be sheep. Bah! Everybody say it with me. Bah! Can I tell you the truth about sheep? They're stupid. Now, I'm not calling you stupid. But, but I will say this, left to ourselves, we do stupid things. Now, you may have a high IQ, but very, very bright people do stupid things every day. What we need is wisdom, and wisdom comes from the Word of God. It is the rod and the staff. And he says, in the valley, they comfort me. In the valleys of life, the Word is indispensable. We learn to cherish the Word of God in the valley like David did. He said, before I was afflicted in a valley, I went astray, but now I keep your word. We never study the Bible better or pray better than in a valley of pain. It makes us pray. It makes us seek him. It makes us do what we often don't do when things are going great. Isn't that true? Before I was afflicted, I strayed. But now, oh, I found your word, discovered your word. I'm feeding on your word. It's great. Confidence in his faithfulness, comfort in his correction, and finally, consolation in his plan. Consolation in his plan. Say, well, where is that? He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. This is the plan. Now, I'm about to tell all of us today the plan of God for your valley. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. 
He said, you anoint my head with oil. That's, that, that is a, a symbol of blessing and fullness and power. And my cup runs over. Most Christians have a little bit of water at the very bottom of the cup. But this person now has the, the, the cup running over with the blessing of God. Now, this ought to be incredibly encouraging for anybody in a valley. And we take consolation in this plan. No matter what your valley is, God is preparing a table on the other side. The valley is not the end. It's not permanent. God has a plan. He's preparing a table. Well, think Thanksgiving. Think Thanksgiving. It's coming up upon us. I can't hardly believe it, but it is. Think Thanksgiving Day. The Cowboys game is on. At least it ought to be in your home. If it's not, I'm going to give an altar call at the end. I'm kidding. Sort of. We, we, we like them around here. But you know how it is. Think Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day. The Cowboys game is on. You're eating a few chips or some other appetizer. But you keep glancing in the direction of the table. The table. You know the table is being prepared. And it's unlike any other day in the whole year. What you're about to dig into is special. It'll make the appetizers you've been chewing on pale in comparison. You don't eat too much because you want to save your appetite for the table. The anticipation builds. The smell of turkey roasting and bread baking are making you sit on the edge of your seat. You're watching the game, but you keep glancing towards the table. Finally, the long-awaited words from the kitchen, come and get it. You jump up like the Lord just came back. You walk into the dining room, and there it is, the table. Turkey, dressing, green beans, sweet potatoes, stuffed celery, fresh rolls, melted butter, cranberries. Some of you need a bib right about now. <laughs> and this is what you've been waiting for with great anticipation. This is what you knew was coming. Listen, it's that way with God and your valley. He's preparing a table. I want you to look forward to it. I want you to look forward to it. Because he's preparing for you a table because he's seen the pain you've experienced. He knows how hard it's been. He knows how the enemy has tried to destroy you in the valley. And he says, I'll show you something, devil. I'm going to make them a table and I'm going to make you watch them eat it. David says, you prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. This is what I love about it. The enemy that tried to destroy you, that tried to discourage you, that tried to take you down, that gave you so much hell in the valley is going to be forced to watch you sit down at the table that God has prepared and watch you eat that turkey. Well, pastor, I've been waiting a long time for that table. Start praising God right now. You need to start praising God right now. 
because let God be true and every man a liar. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil, for you are with me. You're riding your staff there, comforting me. I know you are preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And only God knows what it will be. Some blessing from somewhere that will blow your socks off. Some blessing from somewhere. Increased anointing. Increased joy. Increased ministry. Increased finances. Increased something. Double for your trouble. God's going to do something. Can I tell you, child of God, he has not left you. There's value to your valley. If you're having to walk through a valley today, I want to close with this. Make the most of it. Don't just go through it with an attitude. Valley, stupid valleys. And where's God? And make everybody in your house miserable with you and your attitude. And no, no, no. Say, you know, I'm in a valley. The Lord I know, thou art with me. Learn confidence in his faithfulness. Comfort in his corrections. Consolation in his full plan. I know what's coming. This valley will pass. The shadows will soon give way to the shining sun. Because weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Can you stand up together with me? I know what I shared with you today is the Word of God, and I want to pray for people who are in a valley. There's a lot of folks in a valley, financial valleys. Haven't been able to find a job. You're struggling, wondering how the bills are going to be paid. Or your children have gone haywire on you, broken your heart. Or a spouse has walked out on you. And you don't know what you're going to do. And you're hurting. And it's real hard for you to see God in that valley. Or you're hooked on something. You haven't been able to let it go. You've tried and tried. But that shadow keeps intimidating you I want to tell you today take his hand dig deep into the word trust him and do good and feed on his faithfulness Father I want to pray for everyone in a valley today if you're in a valley I want you to raise your hand I certainly preached the right word today. That's a lot of people. Raise them high. Now I want you to say with me, Lord, I know thou art with me. I take your hand. I'm going to learn to trust in your presence. And I'm going to take consolation in the table. I know is coming. I will fear no evil in this valley. 
Now, Lord, I pray the peace of God will envelop the people of God. And Lord, you will increase faith and increase joy, increase confidence. If any of the sheep are straying, I pray that, Lord, that rod will strike them in love and bring them back. Lord, I thank you for peace in the valley. In Jesus' name, thank you.